This episode of the Get Fast podcast is brought to you by Trivelo Coaching, where we help triathletes and cyclists like you train smarter to race faster. You are joined as always by your host, Australian Ironman champion, Jared Donnelly, and I am Jordan Donnelly. In today's episode, we are talking about running workouts, the exact type of workouts that will help you improve your running speed. So which workouts are going to help you improve your speed, but also how important is speed really in a triathlon because it is an it is a endurance event. Uh, so the longer the event, uh, the less speed matters, or so we think. Uh, so how much speed work can you actually afford to do as a triathlete and how much should you really be doing? So there's, there's a lot in this discussion today and there are some key differences for triathletes that you need to be aware of when thinking about speed. Uh, But first, as always, what's caught your attention, Dad? The majority of Australia has been in heat wave conditions recently. So training in the heat is probably the the thing that's on my mind and how best to to manage your training sessions um, knowing that you could be facing 38, 42 degree temperatures. Um, the Tour Down Under is a classic example. Every year, the Australian Open Tennis, you're guaranteed to have temperatures that are unsafe for athletes to, to really compete uh, at the top of their level. Um, and, you know, really that's, that's caught my attention. What should we be doing about um, knowing when it's going to be temperatures like that? Should we train? What's, what's your answer? Well, there's a little bit of data telling us that heat acclimatisation increases your hemoglobin level so there is some positive in training in the heat another positive is if your race happens to be hitting 35 to 40 degrees and you've never trained in it the body's going to really struggle so you need some adaptation in training in the heat um the example i would give is for example a weekend, if you're doing an endurance ride or an endurance run and you know that by 10 o'clock it's going to be 36 and going up from 10 o'clock, if I knew my race had some aspect that's going to be dealing with temperatures similar to that, the obvious one would be Hawaii. Um, we've had Geelong at 40 degrees in a 70.3. We've had Bustleton, similar temperatures, 40 degrees. So I would I would have aspects of my program. For example, if I'm doing a six-hour ride, I would start at maybe six o'clock and go till 10. I've got four hours between 25 degrees and 35 degrees and then the last two hours, 35 degrees to 40, whatever it's going to be. So mm-hmm. I'm just edging my my adaptation over a, a period of weeks during the summer um, so that um, slowly but surely my body could cope with, you know, one hour, then two hours, then three hours. So that come race day, you know, it can throw any temperature at me. I can cope. So, so yes, we actually do need to, to really get our body to adapt. Um, and the opposite side is if you actually do get heat stroke in a training session that's way too hard for the given temperatures, um, and that's the key point. How hard do you train in those hot on those hot days? So, I'm not a, a fan of pushing hard sessions, hill repeats, um, high intensity uh, efforts um, in the heat. That it needs to be kind of the end of your session. Um, no way, I said hill repeats then because we had an athlete do hill repeats <laughs> in 37 degrees a couple of days ago and it's got heat stroke and really suffered. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that's really caught my attention, yeah. and and you've got to be sensible. Um, you know, you need to be doing an easy 
uh, type of training session in the heat. Mm. Um, it's like trying to train at altitude. You can't do massive high intense efforts at altitude because you basically can't breathe. Mm. Um, and you need to, you know, train at altitude, but it needs to be uh, compatible like training at heat. It needs to be, you know. You need uh, to be able to, to adapt to it. That's right. Give your body a chance. Yes, not, not um, have five more days off yep. after you've done a session in the heat and got heat stroke. Yeah. So there's a fine line between the adaptation phase, which is always going to be uncomfortable, uh, and but not pushing that so far that you do your whole session in the heat and you, you already just can't actually cope with that. It's you're trying to get too much adaptation too quickly. Yeah, common sense has to prevail. Um, so that's what that's really you know, it's it it's a topic that never gets talked about, but it is really crucial during summer in Australia, especially where we've got variations in temperature. You know, depending on where you live in Australia, mm. um, you know, if you're in the northern part of Australia, you've got similar temperatures, pretty even all year round. Mm. Um, but if you're in the southern part of Australia, you've got extreme cold and extreme hot um, that surpass the northern, uh, you know. Um, part of Australia's temperature range. So you, you really need to not be used to training at 15 degrees when your race is going to be at 30. And the study you sent me on um, the adaptation of the body to five weeks of, and it was just easy training in the heat, uh, in, promoted a hemoglobin increase. Uh, that can't be understated because that is, you know, the equivalent effect. Significant. Of, yeah, of what altitude training is is achieving. And so... Um, you're not just doing it so that you get used to the feeling of the heat. Your body actually adapts in a really positive uh, way. So, yeah, there's a great study that uh, Dr. Harry sent across, and um, I love reading stuff like that. And it's uh, all those little one percenters that um, you know that is a positive, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Now that's a good one. What caught my attention uh, this week was actually the um, Zatapec uh, t- ten race was on, which is the uh, ten thousand meter national championships in athletics. Uh, it's a great night of racing. They have races from 800 all the way up to 10K. And you see some of the best athletes in Australia running that race normally. Uh, and this was no exception. There were some absolutely elite athletes running across these events. And um, there was an interview with one of the athletes who is hoping to qualify for Tokyo Olympics. Uh, and they asked him what he was expecting to perform in the 1500 meters, uh, how he was expected to go. And uh, he gave a, an answer that I think really applies to a lot of um, – our athletes and triathletes and cyclists and what they need to know about their season and how to approach a season uh, because it was quite a big race and it was it was the first kind of pro race all these guys have had in a long time. And so he said, you know, his PB is 334, I think, for 1,500 metres. He said, coming into it, I really hope to just run under 340. That's my expectation of myself. Uh, I'm in really good form, but that's you know, what I expect. And then the next race in um, a month or two, I'd hope to run, you know, 336-ish. Uh, and then a month or two after that, hope to break 335 and get get qualified for Tokyo Olympics. And I thought that was such a well-measured answer to understanding where he's at in his season. He's not peaking right now, so don't expect himself to run a PB uh, because running 339, 340 is way off his pace. You know, it's five or six seconds over 1,500 metres. Um, it's it's way off what he's capable of, but there's no ego in his answer. Uh, he was just um, really measured in his thinking and that this is how I'm going to run now, knowing that I'm going to run a bit faster in one to two months, knowing that I can peak uh, a little bit after that. And we all need to think that way with our season and not just try and be peaking for absolutely every race because it's a it was a televised event last night. You know, you want to perform your best. There's a lot of pressure um, and he just wasn't falling trapped to that at all and I thought that was just a really good answer. Yeah, spot on with everything you've said there. January is January. Mm. The Olympics are in July mm. or August, are they? Um, I actually don't know when they are. They, they, they might not <laughs> yeah. be on anyway. Yeah, but, exactly. yeah. but the point to make is – 
your form is your form mm. where you're at in that particular build. And we did talk about that in the last podcast, you know, understanding the data for where you're at. And you don't want to be running a 331 unless you're going to run a 329 um, come race day. You don't want to be holding a 331 from January to July. Yeah. It's actually not possible. Mm. There's got to be highs and lows in your program somewhere along the line. You've got to have – you can't hold and maintain that. Yeah. So it's a really it's a really good point. Yeah. Great. Well, let's get into the topic of today's episode. Uh, It's a good one. It's going to provoke a lot of discussion uh, because speed and triathletes don't always go together. So we're going to try and uh, debunk kind of uh, what you need to know about speed as a triathlete. So I'll start by asking how important is running speed for triathletes? There's no doubt about you need to improve your overall running ability. So unless, unless you're going to provide overload in training, you're going to stay the same runner. Yeah. So, so that's the first point that has to be made. But what are the risks and re- in, in reward in running fast sessions? So as an Ironman, and, and we always say this, it depends on what the event is. And look, triathlon, really, they're, they're, they're almost four different events, uh, four different sports. To, to prepare for a marathon in an Ironman, a half, half marathon in a 70.3, a 10K in an Olympic and a 5K – in a sprint event. We are talking about almost four entirely different sports. Yeah, so the answer depends. Um, you know, if you're training for the Ironman, the speed is really low on the scale of um, importance. importance. And if you're training for Olympic distance, you, I think the goal you're always trying to aim at is to get your PB fresh 10K or 5K to almost replicate off the bike. The closer you can get that, I think that's more an important goal rather than trying to, you know, I still believe you need to have overload to try and improve. Say say you're a four-minute K pace runner over 10K. You know, you've been doing that for five years. You can run 40 minutes, 39, 50, 40, 20. That's your range. The only way you're going to get better is to do some higher-intensity runs in training so that you can your body can cope with four – uh, sorry, 354 pace or 350 pace or 345 pace so that when you come to do another time trial or, or a 10K road race, your body is used to that. But if your body will will do whatever it's been doing in training. So if you've just been training at four plus minute K pace, you won't ever run faster than 40 minutes. Yep. So, so that's a clear-cut answer. Especially, I mean, the Olympic distance is known as the quote-unquote shorter distance, but it is not a short event. Um, and a 10K is not still not a fast event unless you're a professional. You're not running quick in the 10K. No, no. And I'm, when I say four-minute K pace for Olympic distance, the majority of – we're talking about age group athletes here, so let's get that straight as well. We're not talking about Ryan Grigson's of the world or Jordan <laughs> Williams who are, you know, able to run you – know, Sub 30. Two, they're, they're running 250-something pace. That's for, quick. Yeah, <laughs> for, for their – so we're not talking about those athletes – they need speed work all the time mm-hmm. to be able to run that fast. Mm-hmm. We're talking about the everyday triathlete or the everyday cyclist or runner. You know, it's it's relevant to, you know, six-minute K pace. Mm-hmm. You know, if you want to improve 60 minutes in your 10K, you want to break 60 minutes, you have to do some training at 550 or 545 or 540. So there's a, a lot of sessions that are available to each athlete that will enable you to do that with – the risk that we always talk about is the downside 
the upside is do those sessions. Mm -hmm. The downside is do those sessions and you may not get to the start line. Yeah. Because the age grouper is normally, you know, sure we've got age groupers who are 20 to 25, 25 to 30, but the majority of age groupers are probably 35 and above and therefore the risk of injury as a runner is far greater um, than a younger guy who maybe hasn't been running for 20 years. You know, he's only taken up running for two or three years as a triathlete. So the body's got relatively few niggles. So you've got to really try and protect the body so it can get to the start line. So so the risk-reward with doing uh, a lot more faster speed work as an age grouper is is not there. Mm. Um, uh, the goal we said before, trying to get your fresh run off the bike, uh, so trying to get your fresh PB as as close as possible to the fresh run off the bike. So, uh, so the, not the fresh run off the bike, the, the, the run actual off the run off the bike. Yeah. So yeah, not going to be fresh off the bike. No, um, but that's what we want to achieve. It's feeling like fresh off the bike, yeah. um, which is which is why I keep saying that. I want you to be fresh off, feeling fresh <laughs> yeah. off the bike. Um, so, yeah. so that's more the goal is to try and match your. So you know, do we have to run faster uh, in training to match what we're doing? Um, uh, in our PBs as a fresh runner, you know, well, probably not. Um, so, so that's that's kind of where the, the, this debate's going to lead to um, now. And I guess with this whole conversation, uh, we never want to sacrifice speed for injury, what you were just saying then. So the ultimate goal is to get to the start line, especially for age groupers because, um, you know, depending on what age group you're in, getting to the start line is one of the hardest parts. Uh, and we've got, you know, our oldest athlete at Trivello, uh, Nick, always says, um, you know, the older I get, you know, getting to the start line becomes more of the challenge than actually racing. Um, yeah, it's quite significant. And uh, breaking down as you get older is, is you know, one of the things you're just trying to avoid the whole time. So you've got to be real careful with, with what sessions you select out of the sessions that we're going to talk about yeah. right now. You've got to be really understanding how it's going to affect your um, your injury prone. And, you, you know, each somebody could have calf injury or it could be hamstrings, it could be back-related glute, it could be Achilles, it could be foot soreness. There's so many variations in injuries that runners get mm. that will prevent them from training mm. full stop. Yeah. So, you know, it's great to be fit in the pool and fit on the bike. It, you know, if you haven't done any run training, you're going to have an ordinary day anyway. Yeah. So, you know, you're better off doing – um, some conservative running training with no intensity so you get to the start line mm -hmm. rather than risking training so many hard sessions and breaking down and actually getting to the start line where I'm going to have a great day for two of the three legs yeah. but I'm not going to be able to run. Yeah, and there's a lot of awareness to this because the example you gave before where with an experienced runner might have a lot of build-up because they run so much of potential injury, potential niggles and maybe someone hasn't been running as long won't have those niggles but the other side of that is an experienced runner might be able to know how to get their body through a big volume and their body's actually been doing it for 20 years so it's used to a big volume whereas a fresh runner is not used to the volume of training required for triathlons, Olympic through to Ironman. So their body will break down a lot faster if they're not careful. So that's why, exactly like you're saying, the speed isn't worth the sacrifice. So, and look, the base, the, yeah. exactly what you're talking about. You know, experienced runners who've been running for years have this base. We call it the bank. Mm. The, you, know, you know, you've got this bank full of 400 runs that's in your legs. And the, the, the age group triathlete could possibly only have – the tiniest little bank of thirty or forty runs in their in their running career. So, the body it it does adapt very quickly to things. And if you haven't experienced uh, leg pain from running, then you could break down within you know weeks. Yeah, 
Yep, absolutely. On that, let's get into the best training sessions to do for running speed. And um, again, I'll just re- reiterate that caveat that you've said. It's that these sessions are for triathletes because the answer would be different for a pure runner. Um, and they're for age group of triathletes. The answer to this question would differ if we were talking about pro triathletes. It would differ if we were talking about you know runners trying to get quicker, but we're not. We're talking about triathletes competing in Olympic right through to Ironman. So um, give me the general overview before we get into the specific sessions of how to improve your running speed. Um, I'm a big believer in um, adaptation of the body. Have you heard me say that so many weeks, you know, it doesn't matter what you're talking about. Even if you're talking about playing marbles, you know, you've got to get your thumb adapted to the action of, of marble. So, so we really want to get our body to be able to withstand the intensity that we're going to give it at some stage. You don't just start with intensity. You have to, in the, the example of building a house, you, you know, you can't put the doors and walls in without the foundation. So, so it's the same with running. You actually have to do some sort of base training to get your body used to it. And I'm talking, and you know, you and I were talking about this just yesterday, um, coming back from injury, um, you know, it's okay to go for an hour run after you've had four weeks off. Clearly not. That would be, that seems ridiculous, but I've done it myself. Mm. You know, I was able to run two or three hours, no problem, mm. and then had an injury for three or four weeks and then first run, yeah, I'll just do an hour. Well, the run should be 30 seconds on, 30 seconds off for five minutes. And then, you know, the next run, eight minutes of 30 seconds on, then De- the next run. Yeah. Depending on the severity of the injury. Yes, yeah. and yeah. – and you've just got to acknowledge that you've had a break and you have to rebuild the base again. So so that that base is the key to all of your training. So 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 building that base up so that you're you're in we call it the endurance run, but it's hardly an endurance run when you start off at ten minutes. It's an endurance run compared to nothing, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. Um it's ten minutes more than nothing. But when we generally talk about endurance, we talk about an hour to, to an hour and a half to two hours. So I guess the reason we brought that up yesterday we were chatting about it was because um, you kind of said that if you were to go back and um, try and get through some running injuries you had, you had over the last you know, 10 years that really inhibited you from running again, you would be just more patient to the extreme level because you tried to come back and run you know, 10 or 20 minutes at a time, which was still too much for what you're your injury was letting you do. You needed to strip right back to 30 seconds and yeah. be as patient as possible. It just reminded me of how important the body yeah. has to have a base. Yeah. Yeah. And so the question is, what session should we do to run faster? Yeah. You can't run faster without that base. And if you do, you're going to risk breaking down. So so the endurance run is absolutely paramount to yeah. to making sure that you're going to have less potential to break down. So, so I'm a big believer in... Um, in making sure the endurance run is the key run to make you run faster. Yeah. It's, a, it's also the key to everything else. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if someone said to me, what's the one session you would do to make you run faster? I'd, I'd progressively, progressively run longer yeah. to a point of yeah. where I think that's, that's enough in terms. And then I would start. So the duration, the, the run duration, then the consistency of that, and then I would add the intensity. Yeah, that's a great first answer. So with that, once you've got your base, what are the sessions you need to be doing to get yourself faster? Well, the, the again the debate about risk and reward. Every time we have this question, what's the next session? Okay, 
what's the, what's the biggest risk? Okay, if I just started to do some 200 reps on the track and 400s and maybe six and 800 reps as compared to one to 2K reps, what's, what is going to give me more speed? Definitely the 200s, 400s, 800s. And you do see running groups, triathlon groups falling for this trap and, and trying to go too quick. And we understand why because what people want to run faster. But it's that's actually to the detriment because it's just a quick fix. Um, so if, if you don't have that base and that endurance run and then you just go and do that, you will last probably three or four weeks before you get a niggle um, and then you won't be able to run at all. So, so the risk and reward there is even though I do agree that you will be faster runner by doing those type of intervals, the risk is too great. Um, and we're talking about the age grouper. So, so I'm a big believer in the number one next best session is the threshold run above your race pace for your triathlon event. So if you're a marathon runner, the 1 to 2K threshold run, of course, if you're going to run the marathon at 6-minute K pace, you know anything below 6-minute K pace is going to make you a faster runner in those threshold sessions. So whether you run them at 4.30 or 5-minute K pace for, for 1K reps or 2K reps, it doesn't matter as long as you can finish 6 by 1 or 3 by 2K in that session. So we call them threshold intervals, don't we? Threshold intervals where you're running faster than – um, you know, if 100% was your threshold, you're trying to run at 105%. So if, if six, oh, if four minutes 30 is your threshold, you need to run these under 4.30. You need to run between 4 and 4.15, something like that. So so running faster than you're going to do in the race. So that is going to imp- uh, enable you to have overload, um, which is the principle behind making you to run faster, ride faster, swim faster. And the reason that that one to two k is that sweet spot is because it's not is that it's not too short to risk injury and it's not too long that it's just too grueling. Well, you can't sustain. Well, how long can you sustain your threshold for? Mm-hmm. Well, your threshold's normally your best effort over forty minutes as a runner. Mm-hmm. Your threshold is your best hour as a rider. You know, and as swimmer, it's the same. It's your best effort over one k. So, if you can't run faster than your threshold for for you know a session that might be, you know, fifty minutes as a runner. You can't, you can't maintain that continuously. So you have to have a break yeah. so you can actually run faster after each break. Mm-hmm. And you recover in the break. That's what intervals are, you know, higher intensity recovery so you can repeat the higher intensity. Otherwise, if we run just consist, uh, constantly without a break, we progressively get slower from the pace we're trying to, r- yeah. to run at so or ride at or swim at. So that's the basics of, of interval training, which was, you know, a revelation back in the 70s, 60s mm-hmm. to do intervals. Um and even I was talking to you about just in uh, doing zone two endurance riding by doing, you know, an hour and a half straight compared to doing, you know, six by 15 minutes with 20 seconds rest. What a difference it made to resetting the feelings of my body rather than progressively getting really uncomfortable after an hour of riding. Um, and it is good to have little mini breaks just so that you can reset, whether it's an interval threshold session or an endurance yeah. or recovery. An easy, easy session. Um, and as you know, in warm-up, if you if you just started your event without the warm-up, it takes you eight just to get your body to adapt to the feel, oh, now I'm in the groove. But if you did a warm-up with sort of easy running and then some, some high-powered sprints and then rest, when you come to do your actual main set or your race – 
it feels so much different than it did in the first 15 minutes of the warm-up. Mm. And, and they're, they're the things we're trying to, we're trying to uh, understand to help us pick the best sessions. Yeah. And so the threshold session, that is, that is key to, to improving your running speed when you want to do a PB. Will it improve your triathlon speed in a race? Of course it will. But remember, there is a risk. Every time you run faster than you're going to run in a, in a triathlon race, you, there is a risk because of the other things that you're doing. And you just have to also understand the um, psychological feel that you get from these interval sessions. If you're a six-minute uh, runner in the race, uh, even if it's a 10K uh, Olympic distance, if it's half Ironman or Ironman, if, you, if your pace is six kilometers for your race and you train at 5.30, you feel really good running at 5.30. When you go back to six, it feels really comfortable. And it so, feels really easy. And, yeah. and that's, that, is, that is actually one of the real positives in doing interval training. Um, so I'm a big believer in interval training and don't ever anybody say that I'm not. I know, I know that it needs to be in the program, but it needs to be really looked at. And each person needs to look at, am I an injury-prone person? And if you've had a history of no injuries, then you can actually pick shorter intervals. If you're a person who has you know, a, a real history of breaking down, you know, the interval session could almost be bypassed. Well, how are you going to run faster? So that's the next session that we would talk about. Before we get onto that, who yep. who says you're not a fan of interval training? Um, a lot of a lot of triathletes say we don't do any speed work, um, and I've, I explain to them the reasons why. Yeah. Um, and you know, if if the half Ironman or the Ironman event meant you to run faster than your best 10k, then we would do it. Um, but it doesn't. The the actual event is running the slowest you'll run in training. In, in your race. Yeah. So, so we're trying to uh, be specific in training terms as to what the requirements are of your race as a runner mm-hmm. and we put them into training. I think this is the wisdom and, and value of experience in your coaching is that uh, you are very conservative um, and for good reason because it is the worst thing for an athlete to call you up and say I'm injured. Um, and also whenever you go and watch triathlon, it is – when you're watching it, it is so low intensity, you know, as a spectator. Um, when you're in it, obviously, it feels like the most intense thing in the world. But uh, we do get caught up in wanting to go fast in training and and you would watch the pros train and they just look unbelievable and you kind of want to match that. But um, your race isn't anything like that and so there's no need to train at that intensity. That's such a good point, Jordan. Uh, when, when you see yourself on footage, see yourself running, you just think, oh, I'm running so slow. Mm. Um, but when you're doing that event, because you've already swam potentially two kilometers and ridden 90 kilometers, you are at the, the highest pace you can maintain for the half marathon. And it's, it's intense, but it's not intense in terms of your fresh running ability, yeah. but it feels like you are just at your limit. Yeah. And people looking on, and if you looked at your own video, you go, why am I running so slow? Yeah. Why does it look like I'm jogging? But, you know... That's the nature of, of the endurance event, you know. It is uh, an, a non-intense run. Um, and as you said, the only people who are really flying, uh, you know, the first two or three competitors out of the 2,000 that are in the race and yep. the rest of the people are, are not actually in control. Yeah. Is it fair to say that you are constantly, you know this, and you're constantly having to hold people back because you just know the out, the disastrous outcome that could happen? Yeah. And, you know, there's nothing worse than an athlete just going, oh, I've trained 
the last six months and I've got an injury three weeks out from the event. Mm. It's so disappointing conversation. And, And it could be any one of many reasons why you get injured. But, you know, we don't want it to be because you ran too fast. We want to eliminate that reason. That, yeah. As, you know, if it's another reason, we can sort it out. Yeah. Um, but it's because you ran too fast when I asked you not to do that or it's because you ran on hills that were too steep um, and your body couldn't cope. Um, did you run the hills too hard um, when we asked you to run the hills at five minute K, at, at your 5K pace, yeah. not your best 1K pace, yeah. you know, understanding what the session's after. Yeah. So – so really, there's a is a uh, a level that we where you know your body, and so the sessions you can do and what you can. I've got you know one really good triathlete, who is a really good runner. But if we give him high intensity interval sessions, he will break down. So we've we've just stopped doing them, mm. and he does the hill repeats at controlled speed. And come race day. He's still running unbelievably good times, PB times yep. um, for 5K. We're talking here, 5K and 10K. Yep. And the minute we start to give him intervals, he's done. Yeah. And we often use the example of one of our athletes who was training for an ultra endurance event and just did months and months and months of endurance training and not one single high intensity speed work session, intervals, anything, just all long endurance. Uh, finished their event, decided to do a – 5k and 10k for fun or a half marathon as well um and smashed a pb in every single race yeah um, it was just ran so much faster it was such a uh, an eye-opener for me i always knew that that's what's supposed to happen but to witness it where they'd done such know, an extreme level extreme and they to be fair in all of their endurance training they were doing lots and lots of elevation in their running so lots of hills and you know there's a couple of things the endurance factor and the strength work from the hills was enabling them to run 5K PBs, 10K PBs. And I was getting them to do, you know, two, three, four-hour endurance runs, you know, because they were doing a 100-kilometer uh, trail race. Yeah. So, um, you know, they are going to be out there for 14, 15 hours. So they needed to experience, you know, at one stage they were doing building up from four to six hours in one go and then having a rest during the day and then going back out and doing another two hours. Mm. So eight hours in one day. That's extreme. Mm -hmm. But at no stage were we asked them to run fast. Mm -hmm. It was just get out there and run relaxed with rhythm and they smashed their five 10K PBs. It was was a revelation. Yeah, absolutely. And that kind of leads us into the second main session, uh, which you've already mentioned, the benefit of the word so many times, hills. Yeah, and, you know, if I just use my own example when I was, you know, competing as a professional – I moved the Dandenong Ranges to be next to Sherbrooke Forest. So let's get that right. I moved house so that I could train as close as possible to the venue. As a professional triathlete, that was part of my preparation was where's the best place to train? I was living in the suburbs and I had some good little parks here and there around the Box Hill area, Um, but they weren't long enough. Um, It was too much concrete, um, too much traffic. And if I really wanted to get the best sessions, I would have to drive a lot to uh, the Dandenong Ranges where Sherbrooke Forest is and, and some of the unbelievably, you know, iconic trails to run on. So, so that strength training enabled me to have so much ability to hold my pace in the back half of the marathon in the Ironman. So without that strength training, I could run the first half of the marathon in the Ironman at the pace I wanted to 
and fade, basically. And I was able to hold the same pace all the way and, in fact, negative split the end of the of the marathon because of my uh, preparedness to do so much strength work. And, you know, moving house is, is really the ultimate. I'm not asking our age groupers to do that. It's just an example yeah. of, you know, but you should think about getting in your car rather than running from home where it's very convenient, but you might live on a flat road that's got no undulations. Yeah. So where are you going to get your strength from? Yeah. Sure, you can find some stairs and stuff to do, but, but you really need to get, you know, not only the downhill and the uphill, but you need to get the flat downhill and uphill. You need all three. Yep. The eccentric contraction, the concentric contraction of your legs is just as good up and downhill. Mm-hmm. It's just as valuable as you know. Yep. Running downhill is hard. Yep. And if you're running downhill for 15 minutes, it takes a toll on your legs. Mm-hmm. So it's r- the benefits of strength training as compared to interval training are almost equal in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've got lots of examples to, to prove that theory. Um, and the risk of breaking down, you don't have to run hard in the hills. You know, the hills create the intensity. So you know, for example, if I got you to run on the flat, you would have to run it, say your, say your threshold is four-minute K pace, or let's just use six-minute K pace. On the flat, your threshold is six-minute K pace. If I put you on a hill and you ran eight-minute K pace on that hill because the hill's so steep, your your cardiac output would be unbe- unable to talk, mm. you know, probably more intense than the flat six-minute K pace. Depending on the hill, yeah. Depending on the hill. And so what do you think the intensity is like? Well, the intensity of the hill is is just as good as you trying to run as fast as you can. So you're really getting the, the overload that you're requiring from the cardiovascular system plus strength in your legs. So you're getting both. Yeah. Whereas running fast on the on the flat, you're actually going to get sore legs from running fast rather than stronger legs. Um, and that sounds a little bit of a contradiction, but you're not you're not getting that variation of the concentric, eccentric up and down. So the hill the hill sessions are are just so important and you know yourself how strong you feel when you like you were talking about before when you when you run interval training at at 5:30 pace when you're a 6 minute k pace runner and you go to run the race at 6 minute k pace it feels easy mm-hmm. when you run all the hills and you go back onto the flat it has the same effect you feel like well where's the hill you know i, I don't have any resistance here it feels like i'm running with really good f- flow and and uh, relaxed uh, um, you know technical running uh, structure almost it just feels so easy yeah and that's why for speed we do hill repeats that's exactly right and you know we we do we do have threshold intervals in our program we do have monofartlek in our program you know don't don't shy away from that we do have that but we have it when we're when we're trying to peak into form um so that's that's where it's important that to understand where where the the best bang for your buck is is in the endurance run, the hills, and then the threshold. And then you can, you know, spend a small amount of time running fast. Yeah. And that's why we value um, the hill repeats as a speed session to help you run faster is because it's the brilliance of it is that it allows you to, like you say, push the intensity without actually having to sprint. Because um, yep. if you're getting that, like you said before, that yep. trying to get that same intensity on the flat as you do in the hill, you have to run faster. That increases the risk of injury and another caveat to that is that um, some people biomechanically actually run worse on hills and their form uh, goes away and it leads to injury and so um, when that does happen then you have to stay away from the hills unfortunately but 
um, for a lot of athletes, it's a really, it's a safer alternative uh, because you can get the intensity and the uh, speed that you want when you're going to go uh, back to racing on the flat um, without the um, speed required to actually run in training. Yeah, but look, the example on a bike is really easy with the power meter. You can see, you know, when you're riding on the flat to ride at 300 watts, it takes some some effort because mm. you're creating the power. Mm-hmm. Um, there's very little resistance except for wind if yeah. you're on the flat. So you're having to generate that yourself. If you go to a hill, it feels in the first two or three minutes that that easy to get to 300 watts mm. because the hill is creating a resistance. It's hard to hold that for a lot longer. Yeah. But instantly the hill does it for you yeah. and that's the same in running. But you can't measure it. That's what I'm trying to say. Mm. Well, on a bike, you can see it clearly. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez, I'm, I'm riding at 300 watts yeah. um, without me doing anything because I'm just trying to keep up with the hill. Mm. And, and again, anecdotally, there is so much to say about that strength. You actually asked me um, when talking about hills, uh, what, what do I find harder, you know, doing the two-minute hill repeats that give you that more strength and a little bit lower intensity or the, the shorter 30-second or one-minute hill repeats where you know, I'm kind of sprinting up the hill. Um and I, I said that um, obviously when I – it depends how hard you do the session. When I'm going at my max, it's just – no matter what it is, it's, it's one of the worst sessions to do. You're so stuffed. But um, often you ask me to do two-minute hill repeats, but not at not at sprinting intensity. You know, it's at your five perceived 5K yep. pace. You know, and you're obviously you're not going to run your 5K pace up the hill because you're going slower. Yes, but, yep. Um, you know, so if someone's 5K pace is five minutes, they're actually not going to do that up the hill. They're going to run 6.30 or 7, but it's your perceived five-kilometer pace where you're supposed to be able to hold it, you know. And so when I do that session, I'm not as exhausted as a sprinting session on the track or something, uh, but I feel when I go run on the track or when I run, I go run on the flat, I feel so strong when I'm doing these sessions for four, six, eight weeks. Um, and that's been proven so many times in my own program when I do a block of um, two blocks of hill repeats like that. I'll go run a PB for 5K um, because mm. it's just the translation is is so brilliant. Yep. So, you know, the topic about how to what sessions are going to make you run faster, well, we've got two types of hill sessions mm. already, you know. So there's the perceived 5K and there's the running as hard as you can on the hill. Yeah. Um, and they're both going to give you benefits um, that are equal to doing short, fast interval sessions without the risk. Yeah. To finish off, uh, the point you made before about, you know, at what point do you stop trying to get faster and stop trying to run 5 or 10K PBs and and just work on um, closing the gap between what you're running fresh and what you're running in a race off the bike. And that's a really, really key point because um, you can try and get your 10K fresh time down by a minute, two minutes, three minutes, um, continuously try and get PBs, but there's no use doing that if every time you go to the race and run off the bike, um, you're five minutes off your fresh PB. Yeah, and the gap keeps widening. Mm. So I'm a believer of, right, 50 minutes is my 10K. We're just mm. picking that for an example, five-minute K pace. Mm. Um, what can I do off the bike in a race? My best is 55, okay? My goal in training is to make sure that I can try and get as close to running, you know, five-minute K pace in the intervals because I know come race day I'm a five, whatever, whatever it is, five, 30, 30. Um, so, so already you've got a different goal rather than running 430 pace, Mm. it's okay to be consistently running five minute K pace and you will in a race because your body's actually used to that speed. That's your goal. That's your PB. So you will actually start to run closer to that 
to that five minute K pace than had you risked running four thirties and getting exhausted and break down. So, you know, that's a, if people can understand that concept. Yeah. And it's really important to understand that that's a concept because, that, because that's a really generic example where if you were looking at a specific athlete, you would know exactly what pace yes. they're supposed to be running their interval that we don't just guess and say, oh, run approximately five minutes. Yes. You know, we are, we do specifically say to them, but yeah, the concept is there. Yeah. And so what, you know, I think that's more important uh, to, to answer the question of what the podcast is about, you know, what sessions should we be doing in order for us to, to run faster? That's, mm-hmm. that's what we're trying to find out here. Mm-hmm. So in a triathlon, you need to do the pace that you want to do in the race, which is as close to your PB fresh pace. And we've said this quite a few times. So you will be an unbelievably top-end age grouper if you can run within 30 seconds of your fresh 10K PB. Yeah. So so you know you need to train at your fresh 10K PB a lot in those interval-type sessions. Um, because we know that it could be five or four or three minutes difference between your off-the-bike 10K uh, time as compared to your fresh. So, you know, there's periods where we, we try to get guys to run way slower than that, just as recovery runs to practice running off the bike. And then we have specific sessions where we are really trying to improve their, their uh, run-off-the-bike time. Um, it comes back to the answer that we've just said uh, feels like a thousand times on the podcast is that um, you've got to practice running off the bike. Yeah. Yep. And if you're not doing any of that, um, you're going to get such a shock and you, you'll never be able to get close to your PB yep. because you're treating it like running is a, in a triathlon is a fresh run yep. and running in a triathlon, no matter how, I don't care which way you try and look at it, you have to have had a swim and a bike ride before it. So you need to, your run off the bike time is your time, not how good a runner I am as a fresh, fresh runner. Yeah. Um, if you were a runner, then it would be, but you're a triathlete. Absolutely. So. <laughs> <laughs> and people wouldn't care what your time is off the bike if yeah. you're a runner. Yeah. But, you know, the important thing is, yeah, well, I can run a 36-minute 10K fresh, but my PB off the bike is 46. Yeah. Well, that's your, that's your time. Yeah. In, a, in a triathlon, what sort of a runner are you? Yeah. I'm a 46-minute 10K runner. Yeah. Well, that's a disappointing statement to make, isn't it, when you know that it's – completely miles away from what you're ca- capable of. And I know that you have been shocked and surprised at looking at some pro triathletes programs uh, where they are so obsessed with, yeah, improving their improving their running speed, not running off the bike. You know, they're obsessed with getting their 10K time down uh, to match some elite runners out there, but they're not runners. They're triathletes and you're just saying to them, shaking your head going, what's the purpose? You know, you're not performing well in races because you're not practicing running off the bike enough. And from the age group right to the pro trials, like the principles the same. Yep. And a lot of them are doing their, their session um, that, that really counts that they think is going to improve them. They're doing it fresh. Mm. Um, they're not doing it off the bike. Um, and, you know, you, you need to have some sessions running off the bike in your program where you're running easy, harder, and very hard. Yep. So, you know, that might not be all in the one week. That might be over a block. But unless you've got that in your program, and a lot of the pro triathletes programs I see, there is none of that. Mm. It's all about running f- as fast as they can fresh. Yep. Um, and they are very good runners, mm. but they're not very good runners in a triathlon. Yep. So which would you rather be? Your sport is triathlon. Yeah. You're not doing any 10K runs to, 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 to write home about. You're actually trying to improve yourself as a triathlete. Yeah. 
And like we said before, they are very good runners in the triathlon still, but their gap is too big between yeah. where they are fresh and, and, and that, that it, is it. It could be a game changer, but yeah. it's it's hard to convince them of that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and you have tried. So, <laughs> I, I mean, I love that we uh, can finish this podcast off by coming full circle to what we always do. And, and it's we, we started with, you know, how to improve your running speed. And it comes back to, well, um, there's a lot of different things that you're not thinking about. And improving your running speed isn't necessarily the number one goal. Um, it is. It is but it uh, comes back to improving your running speed of what you can do off the bike. Yep, yep. So the topic definitely is what we're trying to achieve. How do I get faster? Mm-hmm. But the caveat is off the bike. Yep. And and if you don't put that sentence in together, you're looking at the wrong thing. Yep. Perfect. That's a good way to finish. Uh, that was a very packed topic. Uh, like we said at the start, it was going to be uh, – a complex discussion because there is a lot of factors to think about and we all want to get faster but we have to think about it in the right context especially as a triathlete so we'll finish off there thank you very much for listening and we'll see you next time